Would you like to become a high-level influencer yourself? Well, don't miss out. Go over to thebookofpublicspeaking.com and grab your free copy of our latest book, not surprisingly called The Book of Public Speaking. This book will take you through what I share based on what I've learned as a speaker on stages for close to 20 years. It also shares interviews with some of the top speakers and speaking-related professionals that I've had the pleasure to spend the time with. And in, in addition, it includes quotes in the back by other speakers around why they get into speaking, their favorite speaking tips, and strategies they use to get more stages. So if you're wanting to become another and a better influencer, then feel free to grab this book. It'll teach you more than just speaking. But if you're wanting to get on stages and you leverage that as an influence tool, then look no further. Again, the book of public speaking.com. Now I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier, and I'm excited to be back with the latest edition of the show. Also excited to have a, uh, I won't say a first-time guest. We've interviewed her in the past. Uh, so Kendra Irvin. Uh, Kendra, I think where I'd like to start is I'd like to ask you if you could tell us maybe a little bit about uh, yourself and your story. And, and people always say, how far do you, back do you want me to go? I just mean like a Reader's Digest version so we get to know a bit about who you are before we dive right in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to give you the Coles Notes version, I grew up in BC and moved to Alberta in uh, 2001, where I attended university. I finished university in 2004, and then I went on to become a kinesiologist, and I worked in a, a rehab facilitation uh, place. And um, from there, I started to get a little bit more, I started to tune into myself a lot more, and I really wanted to look at the person treating the person as opposed to the injury and so that's what really flagged me towards basically personal development so the first book that I read was The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle and a friend of mine who was working at the clinic at the same time we both got to talking about the book itself and then that just really kind of fueled the fire to look into personal growth and really zoom out in the big picture of things and so that's really when wellness started to really catalyze in in my life and and uh, long story short, I ended up getting certified through um, an organization of the States in 2015, and I've been taking it to the moon ever since. And it feels amazing because, you know when you really just connect with something and you're like, and you're, you sit down and you get quiet enough to listen to yourself? Um, that's when wellness popped into my head. And I knew that was something for me because I'd been doing it all along. I just needed to kind of make it official. So I got certified after that. And that's when I started living light. Wow. So where I'd like to dive in there, which is a really weird place to jump in, but is the, uh, the Eckhart Tolle book. So for, so I'm going to ask you what resonated with you in that book. And, and the reason I explained that or reason I asked that is because I think I've said this in the show in the past. Maybe I haven't, but for me, I loved what that book did. I loved how many lives it impacted. But it was one of those books for me that it was, I don't know how to describe it, but it was, I'm a huge woo-woo person, but it was too abstract for me mm. and I couldn't get in. But then I know other people where that was the book that changed everything. Right. So I guess my question is, what do you feel about the book resonated with you? I think the biggest thing was to remember that 
everyone, like all the efforts that we're making in terms of building and cultivating joy and peace and happiness in our lives cannot be experienced in any other time other than the now. So when a lot of us try to move forward and there's still stuff that's stuck in us that we haven't dealt with from the past or we have anxious feelings about the future, to really look at that and bring ourselves back into the now is is crucial for our happiness because that at the end of the day when you look at all the all the gurus all the wise people of the world they all point it back to living in the present moment and being able to give that gift to the generations that come after us so as a follow-up to that why do you think i mean the obvious answer is obviously technology and other things but why do you think it's so hard for us to be in the now now like are we Outside of the technology distraction temptation, are we maybe trying to avoid the now because of all the other things that we're seeing or that bother us? Or do you think it's just human nature to want to make ourselves distracted? And of course, I'm not talking everybody. I'm talking generalized here. I think it's human nature to want to grow. And sometimes in that, we get lost along the way and start pursuing things that are outside of our our in our true internal desires. So to answer your question, I I think that the way that the world is going, it's becoming more fast paced. And so it's, it's future, it's putting people in future minds. So that creates a lot of anxiety and it has us striving for more and more and more without realizing that now is all that we need. Um, So some proof of that is the, the recent can't say recent onset but um the lack mindset and the feelings of not enough i mean who out there who out there listening right now has in some way or some form said that they weren't enough whether or not it's tall enough pretty enough skinny enough rich enough whatever it might be that keeps us striving for future things which keeps us outside of the present moment because in some way or form we don't think that we are enough just as we are in this present moment now so that begs the follow-up question in your experience or at least you can even talk what's worked for you but what's worked for you i'll ask it that way in terms of allowing yourself to feel it is enough what and again whatever that is like again it could be something different for everybody okay love this question it's actually a lot simpler than you think um so really just to bring myself back into the present moment what has worked for me every single time is the big b B word breathe so the reason why and i'll back this up too if any of you out there follow maslow's hierarchy of needs you'll see at the very bottom there's the essential foundational things that we need to thrive as human beings Um, so air is one of them (laughs) water is another one food is another one there's shelter i think sex is on that on that um plane as well but why I'm so confident about that is because the first thing that we do when we become, you know, in, into our human form on the planet is we take a breath. The last thing that we do is we exhale that breath. So every time we come back to that, that truest form of ourselves, which is we're fresh babies in the, in the new world, um, every time we come back to that, that breath, babies don't live in the past or the future. They live in the present. So anytime, it's, it's some subconscious triggering as well. Every time I hear someone else say breathe, I inherently do that. Like it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's ingrained or maybe in my DNA or something. But seriously, 
there doesn't need to be an algorithm someone needs to go to. You don't need to eat kale to be in the present moment. None of that stuff. It's a lot simpler and bringing yourself back to the breath. The very first thing that we do when we come out into the world is, has been the most effective tool. Um, I'd say for anyone out there that's dealing with anxiety and a lot of us are, every single resource that I've read and people that I've talked to all say the same thing. Bring it back to your breath. You can only last maybe a couple minutes without breath, um, a couple days without water, and a couple weeks without food. So by, by that, by virtue of that alone, breathing is the most important thing to bring us back into the present moment. Wow. So the, what, the thing you said there that just kind of, I don't use the term mind blown very often, but the thing <laughs> that you said there was uh, about, I never, ever, 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 ever thought of it that way how we come into the world and we take almost like a breath in yeah. and then when we're leaving the world we breathe that in, that breath out yeah. almost like that's the breath that we you know that's been staying there the whole time and sustaining us I've never ever thought of it that way so just have to add that that's wow yeah. um, so I love that and in fact I'm one of those people that admittedly I don't even know the best way to describe it but I was very much a skeptic earlier in my life around the idea of what meditation really was or even existing or even could help me uh yoga just like this is for wizards you know like i totally didn't get it and uh my mother took me to like tarot readings and all that tea leaf readings and stuff when i was really young and when i was about 16 one guy said everything that was going to happen and he, it was almost you could have like painted a picture like how close he was with everything it wasn't even close. It was just everything. It's just like he foretold my whole life for the next five years. And he had it so much so that he said the girlfriend I was with at the time was going to cheat on me. And she was in the room and he didn't know she was my girlfriend. And she fought with him and yelled at him and everything for saying that. And then I found out like two weeks later, she had been cheating on me with my best friend. Mm. Like he, yep. he nailed everything. He said, he said, you're going to move across the country. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And I argued that and like four months later, my buddy Shannon and I decided to move. And we, I never even thought of what he had said. And Shannon was the one that came up with the idea, not me. Oh, so so cool. this guy mapped it all out. So that was the only time I kind of quasi said there's something to this in terms of if we say new age or woo-woo, whatever we want to call. And then uh, what happened was I had balance problems uh, when I first moved to Alberta. And I went to the doctors. Nothing solved it. And then somebody said, why don't you go to yoga? And I'm like, well, I've tried everything else. I'll go to that wizard stuff. And I went to yoga. <laughs> and in about two months, I went from a guy who couldn't stand on both feet and stand still without swaying to a guy that could do tree pose for people who don't know yoga. One foot, in the, one foot in the air, one foot up with my eyes closed without swaying. There's that was in a few months. And then the shavasana, the end, when you're laying down in silence, that's what got me into uh, I was like, this is the best, this one minute is the best time of my whole day. And that's what sold me on meditation. So that was a long tangent to say, though, um, I understand why people listening could be skeptical, that breath could have that much impact. And then maybe you can talk to, because this is the thing I get all the time when I bring up meditation, especially some of the rooms I speak to, like maybe it's, uh, you know, truckers in a room and not to be a stigma, but, you know, you, they maybe aren't used to the idea of sitting cross-legged, which you don't have to, but breathing in and breathing out and being silent. Um, what most people talk to me about is monkey mind, the idea they can't slow their mind down yeah. long enough to meditate. That's what do you say when people tell you that? With respect to monkey well, mind? Yeah, like in other words, they say, well, I give up on meditation. I can't do it. I can't be successful at it because I can't slow my mind down. So there's no such thing as a bad meditation. The only quote-unquote bad meditation is not meditating at all. And I think people's, I think we really need to look at how people define meditation. So first of all, when I, when I said 
meditation, you know, a few keywords that popped up in your mind were wizard, woo-woo, and all that kind of stuff, right? And here's the thing. We're conditioned to believe that if we can't see it, it's not real. So where would the belief and the faith factor come in that if, if we can't see it? Science has suggested that, you know, it's, it's only real if we can prove it. However, we now know in 2020 that that's not the case. And so what happens is, is that if we don't, if we can't, like if we're in the mind space or the mindset that meditation won't, won't help us or that, it, or that it can't calm something like monkey mind, then what we do is we seek outwards. And when we seek outwards, we consume. And when we consume, we're in a fear space. But that doesn't serve the better part of us. It doesn't help us out. It only helps out someone else other than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And just remembering that everything that we experience in our earth and on the planet comes from within. So if we take that outward focus and bring it back within and learn how to create space and slow down, that is really the, the space where we can actually create clarity. You cannot solve a problem like anxiety, like monkey mind, if you're still in the monkey mind environment. So you need to remove yourself from that in order to create any kind of clarity. Anyone that's ever gone on vacation knows that. They leave all the stress and the chaos behind and all of a sudden there's not all these distractions keeping us looking outwards and then we can look within. How many people have come up with solutions or knowing what they want to do and have a whole new lease on life when they come back because they've been able to remove themselves from the chaos in which the monkey mind was created? I love that. And now I'm going to pose something else to you about the, because you mentioned the vacation side, and I'd like to get your take on this. And anything I ask or anything I say is definitely not a judgment on anybody. I mean, we're all just trying to make it work. Um, but I'm curious your thoughts on this. One of the things I've noticed as somebody who travels more than most people yeah. is now I see families on vacation and all four of them are distracted even on their vacation on their phones. So it's just like they didn't leave work. They're still basically living the same life before they went on vacation and they're sitting on a beach. And I've watched four family members on the phone for an hour. Yes. And so my, my question out of that is, you know, like you said, that experience that they had, are you worried that people are even experiencing that less? Like especially kids who did never, maybe never went on those vacations where, where there was no phones, no distractions at all. Like are you worried that we're even not getting that break? You know, like you said, that feeling of when you get there and there's nothing distracting you, but now some people are bringing the distractions with them. Like, are you, I'm just curious, your thoughts, are you concerned that we're not seeing the power of being able to wind down that two weeks a year if that's how much time we take? I think sometimes we're really kind of afraid to live in the present moment. And so that keeps us on our phones or distracted. And really a lot of what distraction is is about is it keeps us from feeling. If we're distracted, we're not in a space where we can actually tune within and actually really say like, what does Kendra need right now? What does Corey need right now? Um, Because again, that's another way that we're looking outward. We're seeking outwards as opposed to looking within. And sometimes looking within ourselves is so scary that that something like a phone or having you know four family members all on their phones during a vacation, sometimes that feels like the answer to not to not feel that kind of uncomfortable feeling. A lot of us want to self-preserve, right? And if we challenge that, if we do something that's outside of our comfort zone, all of a sudden we're challenging that the, the safety of it, and then our alarms go up, our egos, our egos become really dominant, and they keep us distracted. Whether we are 
you know, whether we're looking somewhere else, we're not looking someone in the eye in the conversation, whether we're looking at our phone, that is straight up distraction. Um, and it's not the person that's to blame for that necessarily. It's, you know, we'll find a way, a medium through which to, um, I guess, experience that distraction because, as, as I said before, that sometimes feeling and being in the present moment and being the now is too painful. Mm-hmm. Wow. It, it's, uh, it's interesting. I was at this conference uh, two years ago speaking and I was, I was actually the MC and also speaking, but when I was the MC, I brought up a speaker and I'll never forget. He put a slide up and it was at a concert, assumably. And I say, I say presumably because of the fact that we couldn't see the concert, we could just see the people behind the gate and and, and even if it was a concert, whatever it was, it was some kind of event. And it was all, you could see all the hands in the air on their phone, like filming it. And I, you know, you hear, like I, I saw, um, I forget what show it was on. Anyway, I saw a show and Paul McCartney showed up randomly to perform at the show. And everybody's there with their phones out in front of their face instead of watching Paul McCartney. And I mean, that's not what I grew up with. So it seems weird to me. And my girlfriend's like, it seems so weird to me that they're, they have to be in a second universe watching through their phone like they don't even they're not even just recording and looking at Paul McCartney they're looking at the phone to at Paul McCartney so it's not like they're not even there but anyway the picture was of um, say 30 people millennials at this I think pretty much everyone was a millennial and it was done intentionally now I don't know if the picture was set up or not but the only other person that wasn't holding the phone up was an old lady that looked about 75 and so he said what do you see here and the audience was mostly baby boomers so older generation and they were um, they were saying oh it's terrible like that you know that lady's the only one enjoying the show etc cetera, etc cetera. and then he spotted a couple of millennials in the audience and this was what his intention was he asked what do you see and he said they said and he said honestly tell us what you truly felt when you first saw this picture i felt bad for that old lady that she's not capturing this for the future and she's not sharing it with her friends oh, no. but what i'm saying <laughs> yeah. is it's yeah. interesting the different perspectives mm-hmm. so they actually and i would say they i shouldn't generalize uh, but at least the people in the room that were representing millennials and that's why he put the picture up, because every time he tests that, that's what he said the answer is. Mm. So they see it as, I'm capturing that moment for my future, and I'm sharing it with my friends, so it's like they're there with me. So it's funny how it's a totally different perspective on it. So they feel like they're being in the moment. when they're. So anyway, I just thought yeah. I'd throw that out there, because that, that was a moment that stuck with me. And it's interesting what you just said, too. I'm capturing this moment for my future. Do you see the contradiction oh, in that I do, very yeah. statement and they, and they might not use those words. That, that was mine. But yeah, I think that's what they're... Because they said we're capturing the moment. So I assume it's for future. Right. Because why? What other, you wouldn't be capturing the moment for the moment. Yeah. Because you're supposed to be there in the moment. Yeah. So I'm assuming the future part. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you though. It's like, what are you capturing it for? Right. Can't you live in that? Can't you live in the experience? But I think they're thinking, I could show my grandkids that I was at the Rolling Stones. Mm. Like I, but the funny part is, they're not but even videoing themselves. They're videoing the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Well, so somebody else said to me, I forget what show it was, like the Grammys or something. They said, and it might not have been the Grammys, but it's that type of thing. They're like, yeah, but it's on TV anyway. Yeah. The TV's capturing it for you. You don't have to do the work. Yeah. But it's funny how somebody, I'll put it on my little phone to share it with my friends. Yeah, but they can just watch it on cable yeah. or whatever they have. They can watch it on a 72-inch TV if they want. Yeah. But anyway, it's just funny. Like, I never thought about that from that perspective until that day. Mm-hmm. How they would feel sorry for the old lady. Right. Like, because I'm in, I'm in between uh, millennials and baby boomers. Yeah. And so I'm on kind of, a, I, I'm on both sides a little bit, like meaning I can see both perspectives. But in that case, I totally was like, the old lady's the only one in the moment. Yeah. But anyway, just, just a food for thought. That's, that was a, you know, 
purview, I guess you say, of the millennial perspective on that situation. That's an interesting and that shift in perspective and how that, how the collective mindset has shifted towards like, well, I felt sorry for that old lady kind of thing. Whereas if you would have rewound even 10 years, I don't think that would have been the consensus. No, well, and they, and again, the people in the room that were a little bit older, they felt sorry for all the other people. Yeah. It was totally like a split between. Yeah. Now, I'll throw another thing at you, and then I'll, we'll move in a different direction. But it's, this is still, of course, around that idea of being in the now. But um, somebody else showed something. And, and again, I'm, I'm all about, look, open my eyes if I'm not seeing this right. And I still think that the idea of us being distracted all the time is hurting us. So I'm, I'm still on that side of the fence. But having said that, somebody, when I said about us being more distracted than ever before, and then somebody put up a picture of, um, I think it was like a might have been a couple in bed and both of them were looking away and looking at their phones or mm, I've seen that one it was yeah. either that one or it was uh, the one where there's like four kids on the stoop and they're all looking at the phone whereas four kids they showed four other kids playing tag and then somebody said is it really that different though and they put up a picture uh, in I think it was Central Park with like 150 men all reading the newspaper not looking at each other from the 30s mm. and so yeah. the point they made is is we always been like this we just found a new device to do it so, and again, I, it, was, it was an interesting, it put, it, like I go, okay, I understand what they're saying here. Yeah, and it's not the people, it's the medium, right? Like you, you had explained that the, the people in the 30s all distracted looking at the newspapers, and now you see like the more things change, the more they stay the same, and people are looking at their phones now. Maybe the news. So it yeah. might be like, if it, they say men in the park, if it was today, might all literally be looking at their phone reading the same news. Either way, whether you're looking at a newspaper in the 30s or you're looking at your phone in the 20s, it still takes you away from the community that is surrounding you. It actually disconnects you from the people that are around you. And some people might challenge that and say, well, how is, how is it that we're disconnected if we're connected via our phones? And there's a big difference between that. You can absolutely connect with a thousand of your friends that you never really liked in high school anyway, and you're still connected with them, but are you engaged with mm -hmm. them? And so that's the common denominator between the two is, yes, we can connect with the world and understand what's going on in the world in the 30s via the paper or in, you know, with the 2020s um, via phones. But are we really actually engaged in what someone is saying and are we really being present for them? Because there is just something to be said about time. And if you ask a kid what's the one thing that they want from their parent the most, they don't say Hot Wheels. They don't say the latest toy. They don't say gadgets or anything like that. They want our time. So it is up to us, especially raising kids. You are raising a child. I'm raising two. Uh, to be able to show them that they matter. And we can't show them that they matter if we're engaged with something else, if we're not giving them our undivided attention. So interestingly, I mentioned to you off air um, an interview we did with Dr. David Suzuki. And mm. one of the things that he mentioned in the interview always stuck out with me. And I have to say, um, you know, there is certain parts of the world, uh, especially our country, uh, sees him as an icon. There's other parts that aren't as big of fans. But I've even seen the ones that aren't as big of fans that resonated with what he said. Uh, again, I'm not, you know, not to generalize, but I found that uh, people that were maybe over, and I'm, I'm only 44, but people that are over like, 4550 seemed to resonate with what he said and he said my thoughts around technology is I think we're using our losing our personal human connection at a time when we've never needed it more so in the world yes and to yes. me that summarizes kind of what goosebumps. you just said yeah that it's, statement gives me goosebumps it, well and, and the interesting part is at least in this one area he backs up what he says because during the interview he showed up and he doesn't own a phone and so he had his wife's phone on the road because he was sick on the trip 
and she wanted him to be able to reach people and it was like a flip phone from like <laughs> 10 years before <laughs> so but he said that he, he said i said so why don't you have one and he said well I got on YouTube one time and he said, I looked up Hakefish and he said, four hours later, my wife's yelling, get upstairs, what are you doing? And he said, I didn't even notice the four hours disappear. And he said, that scared me. And he said, then I noticed when I was going to the gym, he said, I'm looking at the gym and most of the people are on their phone while they're at the gym. And he just said, I'm looking and saying, this scares me because it feels like we're driving toward, and this was powerful, driving towards a brick wall in a car together and nobody's willing to take the wheel. Right. Press on the gas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so from that end, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, it becomes the new challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we decide what's an okay distraction, what's not? Like, you know, obviously with our devices and our phones, there's, there's stuff that they can help us with. There's times whenever we're by ourselves, and, uh, morning, uh, we're times when we're by ourselves, and it's, you know, it's, it, it's our time, let's say, to follow. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, if we have a child like me and you're on the road, we might, that's our time maybe to FaceTime with them. You know, still yeah. using technology, yes. but last night, he, and it's not my birthday, I'll clarify this, but he goes, happy birthday to you, and he's singing happy birthday to me <laughs> through the phone. I couldn't have that magical moment, yes. which I'm in the present with, without that device. Right. So, I mean, I'm get, what I'm getting at is I think there's some good with it, but I think it all comes back to how we use it. It's, it's never oh, totally. the tool's fault. It's all what we do with it. Exactly, right? If it's the tool's fault, then we're placing blame and we're not being accountable for our experience. And the thing is, is that, you know, it's the reality is, again, bringing this back to 2020, you know, it's, it's not like throw your phone in the garbage. That's not the message because the, our world is run off of phones. You can hear one going off in the background right now, right? Absolutely. Um, so the happy medium with that, pun intended, is to create healthy boundaries around that, right? If the phone is taking you away from a moment when you're having dinner with your family, that's, you know, that's kind of, I mean, I think people would agree with that, that that's kind of violating that healthy boundary of creating community around the dinner table. Cause there's, there can be a lot that you learn about your kids in the day. If you just let them speak while you're enjoying a meal together, for example, without you being distracted on your phone. So, I mean, I don't know if we're, if we're looking for solutions, if we're talking about how to move forward from that, why not create healthy boundaries around the use of the phone and the, and the quality time that we spend with our fam, with our family members, not just, not just them, not just the, you know, kids, I bring them up a lot, but our spouses to create that connection again, because you know, if there is a lack of connection between the mom and the dad in the family, the kids feel that and they see it because mm-hmm. they are monkey see, monkey do. And talking about monkeys again, right? Um, so being able to really, really get clear about how you want to use that time and when it is appropriate and not, create the boundaries, stick to the boundaries, and then you have yourself a smoother running system. So just to, I'll, I'll wind this up and then I'm going to, uh, as we wind down, I, I have a few questions we always ask, for, ask every guest. And then I just want to ask you a little bit about the work you do. Okay. But before I go there, I'll just add this one last part about the, something you said, uh, the boundaries. And when we do those things during times, I had a guy in the show a while back, his name is Mike Lipkin. He's a Canadian speaker. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I said, one of the things I've noticed when I've interviewed a lot of the world's top influencers is when I'm with them, they're all in with me. Like they're not with their phones, which is kind of interesting. You'd think the high, uh, high influential, highly influential type A personality who's a crushing it and accomplishing a lot, you think they'd be distracted all the time. But I found they're not. Mm. You know, Arlene Dickinson from Dragon's Den, Arlene, I'm sure she's juggling 20 things every hour. Yeah. And yet, whenever I interviewed her for two hours, I didn't know she owned a phone. Mm. 
never existed. And people, some people say that's easy when you're early and you have assistance. Yeah, but at the end of the day, if you're going to be addicted to your phone, you're not going to you're not going to dictate your addiction to your system. You would still be with your phone. So in other words, there's still she's still finding a way to break away. Is what my point is. Yeah, and she like she may have assistance, but she also has the power to choose. Right. right above that, the power to choose came long before she had assistance, and it's because she had the power to choose that she got the luxury of having assistance. Touche. And then on top of that. <laughs> um, she also still has a phone. She's still getting texts from people that aren't going to call her assistant. They're not going to go through her assistant. They're people she knows personally that are texting her. And she still didn't bring up the phone to discover that. So she's still making that conscious choice. And I noticed that this was a common thread. So I brought this up. And uh, Mike Lipkin said, I think what it is, Corey, and I'll never forget this because this stuck with me. And, and it, I changed my perspective. Is he said, I think that they go all in. So what do you mean by that? He said, when they're with their phone, they go all in with their phone so that when they're with the people, they can go all in with the people. Mm. And it was, because so in other words, he said, yes, give your phone your love. Give all your phone all the love in the world when it's your phone's time. But then don't give your phone any love when it's somebody else's time. Yeah. And it just changed everything. That's a great way to put it. And I asked that Robin Sharma, the monk who sold his Ferrari, mm. uh, he works with, works with Dell, Apple, all the large companies, Microsoft. So I thought I'll put him on the spot because these are, these are people that are paying him. So I'm going to ask him about, does he think technology is good or bad, like phones and stuff? And he said, I'll put it this way. It was a good political answer if you don't want to burn any bridges. But he said, and it's true though. He said, think about it this way. If you have two salesmen go in to sell a CEO and one of them checks his phone throughout the conversation and one doesn't, we know that nobody can give 100% to two things. Mm, so who yeah. is going to win that deal every day of the week if everything else is equal? The person that gave the CEO 100% of his attention or the person that gave the CEO 50%? Right. And right. who should win? So, but the point is those two guys, just those two things, to me, sums up, they sums, it sums it all up. Yeah. Is that if you're with somebody, give them your attention. If you're not, give your phone your attention if you want. Yeah. So it's, exactly. all, it's all about how you use the tool. Yes. So having say that, said that, before I ask you the three questions we ask every guest, I call them rapid-fire questions, but you don't have to answer them any quicker. Um, but before we go there, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do with people? Like how, because uh, I want to ask you at the end how we can reach out to you and connect if people want to learn more, want to work with you. So what kind of work do you do with people? Because we never really explored that yet. So the work that I do with people is really foundational self-care, kind of in a nutshell. Um, my passion is in helping people to create perfect health so that they can tackle one of their biggest wellness challenges at a time. And I do that using the world's oldest wellness system. And a lot of what I do is working one-on-one -on -one with individuals. We find out what the biggest wellness challenge is. Then I take them through a um, basically a process of finding out what their body constitution is, body and mind. Then when I have an understanding of that, then I can create or prescribe a program that helps them go from where they're at to where they want to go. And you just you kind of reverse engineer from there. We meet up and we do consultations and then I set up challenges for them until they reach and they solve that one problem. Typically I'll ask them on that note as well, what are the three big things that they want to solve? And then they come up with that and then say, Pick one thing that you want to work on right now that's most important to you, that brings the most value, and that would take the biggest weight off your shoulders. Mm -hmm. We work on that, and then they'll find throughout the process that the other two things that they mentioned either become obsolete or they've significantly minimized, that it's not a big pro problem anymore, and they can handle it on their own. So the process that I use isn't effective without accountability. Mm -hmm. If someone isn't ready to do the work, then they're not stepping up to the plate. They're not accountable. And if they're not accountable, 
they won't see the results that they're looking for because you, you have to be accountable for that. Um, you can't get power from having someone else do the work for you. You need to do that for yourself. So many of us don't know how to do that on our own and on our own and so we need the guidance for that right and that's where consultation and coaching comes in um, because the whole point is to go from this this place of heaviness whether it's spiritual whether it's nutritional physical anything on the spectrum to move to a place where you feel lighter mm-hmm. and doesn't everyone want to feel lighter absolutely so uh, I guess having said that and, and, and so and I have to say that I love a couple of things you said there. So, you know, the fact of uh, their body composition and so customizing it to them and also working on one thing rather than a thousand things at once. Let me ask you this one quick question before I go to the three final questions is how important or how much do you take into account? You know, you hear about like there's a book, Eat Right for Your Blood Type. Mm. And the idea that like some people can be vegan successfully, some people can't at all. Do you take that into account? Like, is that, or is that even, do you think that's a thing? <laughs> like, do you think that we, for certain people meets, you know, serves them well and other people it, it doesn't at all? So that, thank you for asking that. I think that there are a lot of valid points in some of the quote unquote diets or processes or programs that are out there and you can take with it a grain of salt. I, I mean, I wouldn't suggest ever programming anything necessarily and having it be the be all and end all and putting your blinders on and being like, I'm the eat right for your blood type, I'm the Atkins, I'm the paleo and the keto. There's all these things that kind of keep us again distracted from the real thing. Um, so with respect to how you know, how I do my processes is really is honoring what your, your foundational makeup is from your body as well as mind constitution. So when it comes down to that, it's actually all a matter of qualities. Mm. What are the qualities that are dominant in one person versus another? So in the world of Ayurveda, which is the world's oldest wellness system, um, if any of you know out there what yoga is, Ayurveda is its sister science. So it's been around forever and it's you know it's had a lot of time to really work out any of the you know any of the kinks along the way um so all we do is we take where a person is at how they're presenting what their dominant qualities are and then whatever the dominant qualities are we bring them back into a space of harmony or center or balance or homeostasis all those are pretty much equivalent by using the opposite qualities because if you have one thing um, on one end and one thing on the other end, that's polarity, right? And so our, you know, you ask many people out there, they want to have a sense of balance or harmony or peace in their lives. And if you have too much in your life that is, that is exacerbating or making that quality worse, it throws you further out of balance. So the one thing and how you solve that is by going and using the opposite qualities. And we don't know that until I have a better understanding of what your constitution is with your body as well as your mind. Then we go to work on solving the problem. Yeah, it's it's I, I like that. I um, it's funny. I, I I don't believe in the word diet, but it's it's funny. I thought if you if a person's going to go on a diet and even call it lifestyle if we want, but go on a diet, why don't we go on the hunters gatherers diet? <laughs> you know, the diet that's a, that foundationally, you know, like uh, greens, veggies. Uh, meat. I mean, I, and again, I'm not you know judging somebody who doesn't want to eat meat for different reasons. Like maybe it's the cruelty of the animal side, and that's the reasoning. Whatever, uh, what have you? I mean, but um, but it's interesting because it seems like that's it's almost like exercise, um, moving more, 
seems to work better than moving less. Like there seems to be some fundamentals that almost always work. And I'm just thinking, like you hear, I'm here now, but the carnivores diet or whatever it's called, where you eat all meat. And then we had the Atkins where you ate all fat or whatever. And it's just like, can't we have balance? <laughs> like, anyway, yeah. that's, just, that's just me talking out loud. But I'm yeah. just like, what, are you telling me that if I put some greens on my plate, some meats on my plate, you know, is that going to be bad for me? But that's what seems like some of the diets are like, no, you can't eat any greens. It'll hurt your body. And it's weird how, like, because I, I know somebody in my network who's now shifted from vegan to carnivore. And when mm. they were vegan, all they could talk about is anybody who's eating meat is doing this. And now, oh, I was mis- I misinformed. And now I know that it's only meat that can serve your body. No veggies, no fruit. And so that seems like it's kind of like the be-all, like one-size-fits-all mentality, whereas that really doesn't get us honoring what our body constitution is, right? It's not about saying that eating meat is bad or eating a whole vegan, like a vegan diet or a plant-based diet is bad. It's not about good or bad. And that's where we really need to change our relationship with food. Food in and of itself is innocuous. It is good by itself. It's how we use it. It's how we've treated it over the years with, you know, the soil quality, how we've irradiated our food, how it's basically become packaged now. Like I was in Orlando recently and they packaged up four apples. Like, are you kidding me? As if it's outer shell wasn't packaged enough, right? That you had to put it in plastic and styrofoam. And so we're not trusting food anymore. And a lot of us have really disconnected relationships with food to the point where we think something is good versus bad. It's not that that's the case, whether you're, because it puts you in a place of judgment, right? And what are you judging for? What is the insecurity that that underlies that? Um, So when you look at what someone's constitution is, it's their truth. It's their truth in their body and their mind. You meet them where they're at, and then you bring them back into that center that that their heart is calling for so that they can their bodies can live with a lot more calm and so you know that's why I created workshops like the happy bodies because how can you really focus on self-development and self-actualization which is the top part of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs um, for those of you still listening to the point about the point I made earlier um, about the bottom layer you are it's very difficult to focus on that when your guts are rumbling or when you've got some sort of inflammation within there, when you've got brain fog, when you're not sleeping properly, when your energy is low, when your diet is incorrect. So when we fix a lot of those things that are getting in the way of us being able to really connect with who we are and what our truth is, um, I mean, it's, it's really just a step-by-step method system that allows a person to gently and slowly move towards that center of balance because let's face it I mean we live in an instant gratification society which has not really given us the quality of life that a lot of us seek Um, and so if we delay that and really bring ourselves back into say mindfulness but also heartfulness and being in the present moment and making conscious decisions about our health that's really what it's all about. It's not to say if you don't follow the system, you're a good person or bad person. Not at all. That's not, that's not Ayurveda. Um, what it does is it gives you an opportunity to create the best possible version of yourself so that you can live out your full potential. Because if you aren't honoring your body, if you aren't nourishing your body, you're, you're not really giving your soul a really good place to live right and so at the end of the day taking care of yourself at a foundational level going back to base it's it's just like before you build a house what do you do you got to clear the land sure so you start brand new and then you build the foundation 
and once the foundation is built you start building from there and then you have a house and then after you have the house you maintain the house this method is no different than that love it and so i said these are the three rapid fire questions first one is how do you define success It's funny you say it's rapid fire and I've taken the longest to answer this question. No, how do that's, I, that's good. <laughs> how do I find, uh, define success? Um, you know, the first word that comes to mind is individualized. Every one of us has a different definition of what that is and that's obvious what, what the question is about. But my version of it is if I am in a place of joy, to me that means success. And whatever, anything else that's around me doesn't really matter so long as I'm in a place where I'm where I'm experiencing joy in the moment. So purpose, how important, I used to ask this about passion, but I switched it to purpose. So how important is it do you feel for people to find their calling, their purpose, their why, whatever word we want to call it, do you think it's important that we find it? And if so, why? Yes. So there's an old saying that um, there's two really important times in your life. The time that you were born and the day that you figure out why. And even saying that, when I say that last part, it just gives me goosebumps because it's just, it's just like this. Let me ask you this. If you go to a foreign country and you don't have a map, how are you gonna figure out how to get around? You're gonna ask people, guess, try, you know, drive in different directions. And then exactly, right? And so it's the same way that that's how purpose works. It's how, you know, waking up in the morning and understanding what you're gonna do with your day, how you're gonna live intentionally works. Purpose is, it really, brings into light the clarity that people are looking for and understanding why in the heck am I here? There's more than 7 billion of us on the planet, so sometimes you feel like a number. You know, what is my significance here? Is it different than yours? Is it different than the other person's? And yes, there's a reason why there's 7 billion of us because each one of us has something extremely unique to be able to bring to the planet to help it heal and thrive. But we can only do that if we start with our own healing and thriving. You got me sold because I mean, I just, I just I'm getting ready to release a, call, a book called The Book of Why and How. <laughs> so obviously I'm sold already. Um, so that being said, last of the rapid fire questions before I simply ask you, how can we learn more about you and connect with you is, um, this is my favorite, it's a question I try to ask every guest. It's called the time machine question. So if you could jump into a time machine, go back and visit a younger Kendra and give her one piece of life advice based on what you've learned in the years since, what do you think you might tell younger Kendra? Hmm, I instantly want to go back to a time when I was six and I experienced something that forever changed my life. Um, I want to tell that version of me and I, and I have her pictured in my head, I have the moment, I have even the car that I was in when I experienced that. Um, is that no man's an island? It's not all up to you. What is up to you is that you remember that, first of all, you are loved, you are safe, and you will make it through whatever difficult time you might be going through. And if your your life is you know really good and going awesome right now, that's that's great. Um, you know, but dialing it back is that you know this whole the whole scene behind it's not all up to you. It's because it's really all up to us. It is on an individual level how we show up in the world, but it is all up to us as a collective family living on this one planet, Earth, which is all of our home, um, to really understand that loving yourself is the most important thing I think that we can do. 
And then when you love yourself, you can love, love other people. And so that's what I would tell my six-year-old version, love yourself. And so I said the last question was simply, how can we learn more? So is there a hub or a place where you normally send people if they want to connect with you, learn more, reach out and just say hi, whatever that looks like? Yeah, I mean, there are several. <laughs> there are several ways. I do have a website, uh, kendraurban.com, where people can reach out and have resources through there. They can connect to me on my website. I am on Facebook. I have a couple of groups where I engage with people on a weekly basis, whether it's in written form or it's doing a live. I also am doing workshops this coming year and presentations where I am uh, giving out all sorts of goodies about how to have a happy body and I'm showing up in yoga studios and all that kind of stuff. Um, I know that doesn't specifically tell you where to find me, um, but you will find those events listed on my website or within Facebook itself. I'm also on Instagram, sharing the love as well. And um, I'm also on LinkedIn. So those are just a few of the mediums that you can you can reach me at as well. I will say one last thing. I am on a wellness panel on um, April 25th and that has to do with how to shatter the work-life myth the work-life balance myth that a lot of us think that is is kind of a truth at this point but, yeah. and so where can people find out about that event the panel like that, that you're on the panel for or is that a is that a private event or is it open it's, to the public it's not it's open to the public so the Red Deer Woman show that's coming up that's where the event will be held okay. this panel will be held um, and I am going to be creating a link to that on my site as well as on my Facebook page. And I blast all that stuff on my personal page and group page as well. Awesome. So if they can connect with you uh, and follow you, they're going to find out all the stuff anyway. Reach out to me on social media, whether it's in a group or whether it's private, like my personal page, whether it's my business page, whether you go through my website. Either way, the important thing is that we connect. If you really feel like something that I've said today or something you experienced really resonated for you and that it would you want to kind of explore it further, then that would be my best direction, I guess, I would give. Awesome. Well, Kendra Irvin, this has been an absolute pleasure. I knew it would be. So I thank you uh, with all the power of my body uh, for joining us today. And I'm gracious to you for sharing your insight as well. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my energy with you. And thank you for your energy too. Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget to grab your free copy of The Book of Public Speaking at thebookofpublicspeaking.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.